Thanks for listening to the Revival Today podcast with Evangelist Jonathan Shuttlesworth. To stay connected, check us out on Instagram, Facebook, or online at revivaltoday.com. Now, here's Evangelist Jonathan. I uh, was not raised in this type of doctrine. I was raised in the Assemblies of God, which is which was a great church, great churches, great children's programs. But they would have what I would call sovereignty doctrine. How many know God will sovereignly send a revival? God sovereignly heals. Yes, God can heal, but you can't say you can't believe He's going to heal you for sure because ultimately, though there's scriptures, you have to remember God's sovereign. And if I took a show of hands, most of you are familiar. Uh, or still maybe believe like that, which is why it's important that you're here this week, because that's not, that runs contrary to the Bible. If you think that things are going to happen to you in God's sovereign will, and God sovereignly makes some people middle class, some upper middle class, some rich, some poor, then you, it just leads to a frustrating life. And then if you're a preacher and you believe like that, you don't end up really preaching for anything. You just tell people, you know, hold on. Uh, the churches I grew up in believed revival would come in God's sovereign will. And that was in the 1980s, and 40 years later, they're still waiting for revival to come because they don't understand the faith message. Of course, we dealt with it uh, on, the, on the first day or the second day, that the woman, if you want to see it, acted out. The woman with the issue of blood in Mark chapter 5, the Bible says when she heard about Jesus, she said to herself, I know when I touch him, I will be made well. And then she went to where he was, touched the hem of his garment, and the Bible says that immediately, everybody say immediately. immediately. Nobody ever came in contact with Jesus and still had the same problem within that 24-hour period. Even the ones that took longer, like the man that came back seeing men as trees walking, that was still within the same day. So any kind of theology that gets you to believe that one day in the future God's going to change things and we have to wait, it's not in the Bible. Jesus never told anybody to come back tomorrow. And in fact, the Bible instructs us in the book of Proverbs. And remember, the Bible teaches us to think like God. The, the book of Proverbs says, if it's in your power to help someone today, don't tell them to come back tomorrow. Help them now. So is God a hypocrite? No, he's not going to tell you to operate a certain way and then him operate counter to his word. Uh, nobody would ever come to the altar in one of my meetings. I mean, people would turn their noses up and sprinkle their face, scrunch their face up if I gave an altar call to get saved, and I said, now you four, I'm going to pray for you to get saved, but this fifth one, it's not your day. You're to live in sin for a few more weeks, and then in the future, God's going to save you. That, that, I mean, any, anybody would think that's nuts. But then the people will do that with healing. You know, well, I don't, I don't think it's God's will for me to be healed, but in his time. But it's no more God's will for you to live in sickness than it is for you to live in sin. Sickness is not of God. There was none in the Garden of Eden. There was no place to get your prescriptions filled in the Garden of Eden. There were no children's cancer centers or pediatric cancer wards. All that came from the devil. A preacher from about 140 years ago named John Alexander Dowie said sickness is the foul offspring of its father Satan and its mother sin. As soon as Satan came on the scene, sickness came with him. And then when Satan's tossed off the scene, there won't be any sickness again. So you start seeing in the Bible that all these precious promises that God has for your life, you don't wait on God to activate them. It's your faith that activates it. How did you get saved? Did God sovereignly one day uh, send an angel and put you in a Brazilian jiu-jitsu hold and drag you to the altar? No. You heard the message 
And unlike some people uh, that storm out or just leave and it doesn't mean anything to them, you decided to believe the word and then respond. And you, what? What did you have to do to get saved? If thou wilt believe in thine heart that God raised Jesus from the dead and confess with thy mouth that Jesus is Lord, you shall be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, Romans chapter 10. And with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. As the scriptures say, anyone who believes in him will not be disappointed or not be put to shame. So I'm getting ahead of myself, but that's, that's how faith works. It's not complicated. You believe God's word in your heart, and then you can't just believe God's word in your heart. If all you did, according to the Bible, was not in agreement in your seat and go, okay, I believe that I'm a sinner and that Jesus died to save me, I agree. You'd still go to hell. You believe in your heart, but then you have to confess with your mouth, according to Romans chapter 10. And when you do, the Bible says you're saved. You're saved from your sin. Your name's written in heaven. Well, every other, there isn't like a second form of faith to get healed. And there isn't a second form of faith um, to rise up in financial blessing or to have a whole family, W-H-O-L-E, or a whole marriage or your, your household serve the Lord. Everything with God works very simply. By believing it with your heart, not believing it with your head. It doesn't say with the head man believeth unto righteousness. It says with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. Head belief, you know, is like agreement. I heard you preach tonight, Brother Jonathan. I just want you to know I agreed with everything you said. Great. That's not faith. Faith is when it hits you and you say, that, I, I believe that. With the heart man believeth unto righteousness. And with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. Death and life is in the power of the? Your mouth. Your mouth carries power. It's actually the thing, when they tell you that uh, we came from the animals and we evolved, that runs contrary to scripture. God made man separately, and the Bible says, in his image and in his likeness created he them. How are we created in the likeness of God? We're the only thing God made that has his creative ability. If you go underwater and snorkel, dolphins haven't created one thing in however many hundreds of thousands, millions, uh, 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 tens of millions of years. They haven't made one thing. There's no, they haven't even made dolphin pants, just swimming around naked underwater. Monkeys haven't made anything. Uh, even the dogs that they say are the smartest dogs, border collies, haven't invented one thing. You don't see a border collie talking to another one by cell phone or by Apple Watch. But God created man in his image to be creative. You know, somebody bought this property and foresaw a church and then started to, to make changes to make it into a church. You can go, if you go away on a 10-day vacation, you're not going to come back and your golden retriever decided to make some improvements to your downstairs basement and turn it into a sitting area. There's no creative ability. Animals just survive. They eat, they pee, they just, they just live. And actually, man without God just survives. They're just looking to pay the bills and get food and have sex, and that's all their mind runs on. But when you become born again, you go on a higher plane where you begin to create and begin, and begin to make changes to your life and to the world around you. And those changes are made by faith, a substance that the Bible calls faith. We have new people coming in every day, so it's worth, oh wait, Miss Angie, let me see you. Remember the lady I said on Sunday treated me the nicest I've ever been treated in all my ministry? I love you. I, 
No one's ever treated me nicer than her in 21 years of traveling and preaching. And I don't know if I could think of anybody that treated me as nice as her, to be honest with you. But there's people watching. I don't want people to get offended. So I said, no one's treated me nicer. <laughs> Faith is not keeping positive thoughts or believing for the best. That's not faith. That's hope. Faith is simply believing what God said in his word and then speaking what God said in his word out of your mouth and refusing to entertain any thought that's outside of God's word. Your mind makes a wonderful servant, but a terrible master. When you hear people say, well, I, I get these thoughts. The Bible says, casting down every thought and imagination that would exalt itself against God. My mind's not allowed to think about whatever it wants. What if, we, what if next year people stop giving? And it, no, that's not in the Bible. The Bible says, from glory to glory, victory to victory, and strength to strength. So we don't think like that. Even on small things. I was watching a movie on an international flight. I had like a... I think I was going to India, so I had like a 15-hour flight or something. So I'd love to stand here and say, so I prayed for, the, for uh, missionaries for 15 straight hours, but I didn't. I, I put a movie on to pass the time. And in the movie, I can't remember what movie it was, but the man had a wife with a, a small child, and the wife got diagnosed with cancer and died. They're right in the beginning of the movie, like 15 minutes. So my mind started thinking, well, how would I handle that? What would I do if that happened? And I thought, you know what? I shut the movie off. I'm not having my mind go down trails of what happens if my wife dies earlier or something happens to Camila. I'm going to do what the Bible said and meditate. The Bible doesn't just tell you to believe on the Word of God. It tells you to meditate on the Word of God, to, to, to have your mind run. What? Now, think of the difference this day will be for me. If I sit around thinking about what am I going to do if Adonis dies, or what would I do if the Lord doubled what he did this year and we go purchase land and build the church and then with his help go do outreaches into the city and bring in more people? Well, I'm going to have a, the one way I'm going to be on antidepressants before long and the other way I'm going to be walking around with a slight grin on my face thinking about the things that God has in store for me. Those aren't happy thoughts. The Bible isn't a co collection of motivational speeches. The Bible is the, the power of God in print. The Bible says all scripture is God-breathed. Every jot and tittle. And say this out loud. No scripture cancels out another scripture. So anytime you hear somebody try to cancel out another scripture with scripture, you're listening to somebody who doesn't know how to inter interpret the Bible. Because when you start talking about healing, somebody goes, yeah, but the Bible says, also says, well, God's not schizophrenic. He, didn't, he wasn't in a good mood one day and started saying a bunch of nice stuff about healing. And they went, you know what, forget that stuff. Uh, let's write the book of Job. And then, and then, so anytime you hear people talk like that, where they try to cancel out one scripture with another scripture, it, it's somebody that doesn't understand scripture. For example, let's take the example I brought up. Well, Jonathan said that we can be healed, but jo in Job, uh, Job was sick. Yes, he was. The Bible says, who made him sick? Job 2.7. Then Satan went forth from the presence of God and smote Job with boils. Bible scholars tell us his whole ordeal took place in about 18 months. And Job 42.10 says, when Job prayed for his friends, the Lord restored double everything that was taken. And he lived another 140 years after that, enjoying his children to the fourth generation and died an old man who had lived a long, full life. Then secondly, was Job born before Jesus or after Jesus? Before. 
You see him cry out all through the Bible. Oh, that I had an advocate to take my case before God, but I don't have one. But I know my Redeemer lives, and though I haven't seen him, one day he will stand upon the earth. Job is a book to make you appreciate what you now have in Christ. Could Job say, Father, in Jesus' name, and have access to the throne? No. In that era, you could only plead to God. You could cry out, and God in his mercy could hear you and answer your prayer, but he was under no obligation to help anybody. But we're not under Job's covenant. In fact, in Job's covenant, the entire way the devil gained access to Job's life was on the basis of his justification. If you let me touch him, I can get him to curse you to your face. Job had to prove his own justification because Job was justified by his works. But the New Testament believer is not justified by works. They're justified by faith in Jesus Christ. So the access point that Satan had to Job is not in the New Testament believer. You know, some people should just be up front and admit that they're very negative people. You know, how can you read the 66 books of the Bible and out of everything in there, you gravitate to Job? What about Job? That's my favorite character. Really? Of all of them, Joshua and Moses and the apostle Paul, why, why would you gravitate to, to, the, you know, to, to that section anyway? Some people you learn as you get older enjoy being defeated. They enjoy the sympathy that it brings. They enjoy rehearsing the same old stories about what's gone wrong. But that's not faith people. Faith people make a decision. I'm going to grab a hold of this thing called the Bible. I'm going to whoop the devil's tail. And I'm going to finish with the victory. And no matter what's gone wrong before today, that's not going to be how my story ends. It's going to end with me celebrating with God that I overcame everything the enemy sent my way. That's the people I'm looking at today in Montreal. If that's you, give the Lord a great hand clap. So somebody say faith. Hebrews 11.1, 1. and then you can put these scriptures up in the, in the Amplified Classic. I'm reading out of the New Living Translation. Faith shows the reality of what we hope for and is the evidence of things we cannot see. And then this verse that I've been having trouble getting by because it's so loaded. Faith is the assurance, the confirmation, and the title deed of the things we hope for. So hope is not faith, but faith can't function apart from hope. You have to have a desire in you for a positive outcome, for faith to begin to function. So hope without faith is barren. I hope I get better. I hope one day I can walk again. I'd love to be able to have children. That's hope. But then when you start locating what the Bible says, that you're actually, like let's say they told you you can never have children, which we've had several people in our ministry that were told they'll never be able to have children, that the Lord, in fact, there was one lady, I saw her last week, she's from Maryland. She was listening on the Revival Today radio app back when we had that. And I said, anything the devil tells you you can't do once, do it twice. So they told her she'd never be able to have children. And she said, Lord, give me twins. And she came to see me in Pennsylvania and told that testimony. And had her two little boys. And I had them run, run around the altar the whole time I preached just to stick it in the face of the devil. So let's say they told you you can never have kids. Let's just take that as an example. You can hope. Well, I hope that's not true. But then it, it, that's not going to have any power. But number one, you have the hope that you're going to be able to have children. Number two, you locate in the Bible, do I have any scriptural ground to stand on to believe for children? Well, I'll give you one. Every one of our covenant forefathers had a wife that was barren. Sarah was barren. Isaac's wife was barren. Jacob's wife was barren. 
and they all had children by the power of God, miracle babies. And the Bible says everything God gave Abraham belongs to you. So that would be one angle you could come at it from to make your case before God and tell him, Father, the doctor said I'll never be able to have children, but I thank you that I'm in a family where my, uh, my, my matriarchs in the faith were all told the same thing. And you did that by your power. And your word says in Acts chapter 10 that you're no respecter of persons. What you did for them, I know you'll do for me. Well, now you don't just have hope for a baby. You have scriptural grounds. I mean, that's just one thing, let alone the Bible directly commands you to be fruitful and multiply. Actually, during COVID, um, the news reporter came to my house and, and then ambushed me like on the way to my office. And uh, so people started watching that, that one on local news in Pittsburgh, that there was some lunatic minister that was keeping his ministry open during COVID. And so what happened was um, my neighbors down the street, who I hadn't really talked to before, they saw that report and the wife started watching me. She looked me up on YouTube and started watching my, my sermons. So then she came to my house in May of 2020 and she said, my daughter uh, my daughter-in-law is unable to have a child. I've been watching you on YouTube ever since they ran that report on you on the news and wanted to know she's coming over tomorrow. Will you come pray for my daughter-in-law to have a child? I said, sure. See how the, what the devil means for bad. God takes it for good. I got a bunch of free advertising. So uh, they got me the next day. I went over their house. I didn't know how freaked out the family was about COVID or you know how it was back then. So I stood in their living room and I, I didn't come close to the daughter-in-law and her husband. And I said, well, would you like to have a child? Well, they, they had had several failed IVF. Not only, it wasn't that she wasn't able to carry the child to term. She, even with IVF, was never even able to, to, to get pregnant successfully one time. So I said, well, you should know this, that the desire that you have isn't some out and left field desire, which you're even allowed to have those. The Bible says, delight yourself in the Lord, and he'll give you the desires of your heart. But I said, you actually have a, de a desire that's in line with what God commanded you to do. Be fruitful and multiply. The UN wants people to not have any children because they operate in an antichrist spirit. That's why all the, all the uh, uh, policies that are being passed in the government make it very difficult for someone to have a child. They could reverse that easily, like, like Hungary and Poland did, where you get paid, like they pay people to have children out of wedlock in the inner city and uh, give them better welfare benefits. Hungary and Poland reversed that this year. You get a tax credit if you're married, and you get a tax credit for every child you have in that marriage. And so abortions dropped, and uh, uh, people having children went up. God likes that. So I said, your desire is in line with God's will. And I quoted a few scriptures for it. And I said, put your hand on your belly where your womb is. And I said, in the, you know, no laying on of hands in somebody's living room. That, that, that I didn't have a church back then. They'd never been in one of my live services. So I said, Father, just like this. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you that your word's true. Underneath her hand, let your power flow. Let that womb come open. Let her become fruitful and have a baby. In Jesus' name, amen. And that was it. Left. So then uh, the, the lady, her mother-in-law, contacted me or contacted Adonis on Instagram with a picture of the sonogram that she was pregnant and then nine months later they had the baby and I was unloading my car coming back off the road there were a few driveways down there waving with the kid running around and uh, they go to my church they I can't remember what religion they were or, or what denomination they were before but they never miss a church service the wife serves in the church when they found out I was starting a church they're never not there 
because of the op that operation of faith. And then now the family knows. Now think of that. For the rest of the time that family's alive, that kid will know that story that I'm alive because of God's power. If the devil ever tries to get that mom and dad to doubt God, it's going to be hard with that kid running around the house because they have visible proof that Jesus is alive and that the Bible is a living book. Man, you guys are a great, great crowd. Don't go missing at nighttime. I could use you at night. Now you get all kinds of people sneak in. You guys are, are great to preach to. So faith produces living proof that Jesus is real. Real life proof. It's not continually hoping for a brighter future. Well, we're just going to stay in faith that one day. No, now faith is. Dr. Fred Price Sr. used to preach that. Now faith is. And then somebody wrote him a corrective letter and said that in the Greek, uh, or, or, or it might have been written in Hebrew, the book of Hebrews, that that now is just a connective word. It doesn't mean now faith is. But he said, yeah, but it still, it still says now faith is. Is. Not faith will be or faith was. Faith is. You actually can't have faith for the future. You, have, you put your faith and I command the spirit to come out now. I command this ear to come open now. Faith, faith grabs a hold of what God has for you now. You know, one day, it was in September of 2016 or 17, I was preaching just outside of Houston, Texas, and we needed a financial miracle going into the end of the year because I had planned a ton of crusades. And so I was going to the church every day. I fasted the whole week, and I was going to the church noon to one to walk the church and pray because uh, if I don't walk and pray, I fall asleep. Doesn't matter what time of day it is. Two in the afternoon, I get attacked by the spirit of slumber and peace. And so I, I have to stay moving. So I'm walking around praying. And I said, Father, by the end of this year, let an let a extra million dollars come into the ministry in Jesus' name. At, by the end of this year, I kept saying by the end of this year. And then the Lord checked me and said, by the end of this year, you think I need 90 days to scrape money together for you? And then, and then started dealing with me with what I'm dealing with you about. I don't need time. And I don't answer prayers 90 days from now. Why not? And so I changed it. Lord only had to tell me once. I said, Father, I thank you for a million now. I thank you for a million now. Now, I'll tell you what happened. Daniel chapter 10, you don't have to turn there. But just to show you this, this will help you. Daniel chapter 10, Daniel's on a fast. He wasn't on a 21-day fast. He got his answer on the 21st day. He was prepared to fast as long as he needed Till he got his answer. When the angel appeared on the 21st day, the angel said, Daniel, if you catch this, it'll help you in your Christianity. Daniel, from the first day you began to pray, I was sent with your answer. But for 21 days, the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia, demon spirit over Persia, blocked me from coming with your answer. But as you continued to pray, another angel was released and stuck with him, Michael, and then I came, and now I'm here with your answer. When you, when you put a demand on something with your faith, and you don't see it happen right now, why is it always going to happen right now when you're in heaven? There's no devil. There's no opposition. And probably one of the best things about heaven, there's no stupid people there. One old preacher said, the, great, the thing I'm looking forward to most about heaven is not the streets of gold. It's the absence of idiots. So between demons and, and 
obstinate people that block and cause things to take longer. For example, if the Lord speaks to me to buy a piece of property, this is a fake example. This isn't really happening. If the Lord spoke to me to buy a piece of property in Pittsburgh for the church, and one person on the town council said, as long as I'm on the town council, that piece of land will never be used for a church. Well, I'm not going to have to deal with somebody like that in heaven. So there's people who are under the inspiration of demons usually, and then demons themselves that work to block what God wants to do. So it's very foolish when you believe for something and don't see it come to pass right away to go, well, I guess God had other plans. No. God answers, call on me and I'll answer you. And God answers according to how you pray. Don't listen to people that tell you the opposite. It's not in the Bible. Well, how I many know we pray, but God has his own way of answering? No. God answers, and I'll give you an example. Was it ever God's will for Israel to have a king? No. He gave them judges and he gave them prophets. But what did they keep crying out for? So what did he give them? A king. He listened to their prayers. He said, well, you're not asking for a smart thing. But you're going to find in the Bible, when somebody's faith says yes, you're going to have trouble finding a place where God said no. Or God gave him a different thing. He actually said, as your faith is, so be it unto you. When your faith says yes, God is a gracious God that accommodates your faith. Now, I was preaching this in, in uh, Plattsburgh, New York. And the pastor there, that's a great guy, but he's, he, he's sovereign, you know. Assemblies of God's sovereignty. He said, well, the way you preach, someone could ask for their neighbor to die and God would have to listen to him. I said, I'm sorry, sir. I was under the impression that I was talking to mentally sound people today. Yeah. Are you going to change what you teach? Because there's always some idiot. Obviously, faith has to come in line with the word. Obviously, you're not praying that your neighbor that built their fence six inches into your property dies. Father, in the name of Jesus, this man did not respect our property borders. May he be dead by lunchtime in Jesus' name. That's, that prayer won't work. That's witchcraft. Obviously, prayer has to go in line with the word of God. But I'm not talking to stupid people today. We left them all on, on uh, Route 40. Amen. I'm talking to people that have made up their mind. I mean, that are in church Wednesday at 10 a.m. That have made up their mind. I'm thankful for what God's done. But I want to get a fresh grip on his word and go forward in the name of Jesus Christ. If that sounds like you, go ahead and clap your hands and signal it to God. All right, let's, get, let's see if we can get through Hebrews 11.1. 1. Faith is the assurance, the confirmation, the title deed of the things we hope for. So you have to be open for something. That's why a religious spirit always condemns you for hoping. Well, I, mean, I know you want to walk again, but that's typical human nature, always wanting physical things. But really, you should just desire God and his presence. When people make a decision in their ministry not to have miracles, they end up condemning anyone that's in search of a miracle, as if they're on a lesser plane. But Jesus never, did Jesus do that? When a blind man came beseeching Jesus and Jesus said, what would you like me to do for you? And he said, sir, I want to receive my sight. Did Jesus say, typical human beings, always wanting physical things. You should have said, I want more of your presence. No. He said, sir, I want to receive my sight. And Jesus said, as your faith is, so be it unto you. What you in the New Living Translation, what you've believed has happened. Did Jesus ever condemn a crippled person for wanting to walk? No. Did he condemn sick people for wanting to be healed? No. He healed all their sick. He laid his hands on the sick and the sick recovered. So God is not a mean God. 
There's a lot of mean religious people, but God's not religious and he's not mean. He's a gracious father. And the Bible says in Matthew 7, 11, that if you fathers being evil know how to give good gifts to your, to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give good gifts, not meet the needs, give good gifts over and above your needs, beyond what you could ask, beyond what you could think, beyond what you could hope and what you could imagine. And my faith, if you want to join it, your faith with mine, my faith is that every person is going to come out of this 24-hour day having a miracle, something you thought you never had, God will do for you in Jesus' name. Man, you're too easy to preach to. You make Texas people seem like they're tough to preach to. All right, faith is the assurance, the confirmation, the title deed of the things we hope for. Say this out loud, it's not wrong to hope. And your faith can't function without hope. Remember this, the desire that you have to reach for more is not a selfish desire. It was put there by God. Be fruitful and multiply. You know, let's say you're believing for a promotion at work. And let's say you got that promotion. Let's say you even got promoted to president of a Fortune 500 company that's based in Canada. You would, you would enjoy that. I, I mean, all of you are going to understand what I'm talking about. You would enjoy that at the party. They throw you a party. You're the new president. And before the end of that party was over, if you were a proper Christian, you would already start getting your mind on what's next. Now that I'm president, I'm not just going to sit in my office and twiddle my thumbs and hold on to the position. How can I expand this company? Or what's the second thing I can do on the side that, uh, that will expand? That's not you being selfish. God put that in man. The desire to be fruitful, and say this word with me, multiply. You know, some of you got your, you, you, you had a dream house you were hoping for, and you got it. You know, we, we have many older people that are here today. You got it back in the 80s. Then, all, then your mind, you say, well, I'm done. So I'll just watch prices right and live out the, the next 30 years. Wait for Jesus to come. No. Then some of you, your mind started getting on. Why am we always renting a hotel in Florida? How much are condos down there? I'll get a condo. What do you think about getting a condo? And then we can go down there uh, uh, during construction season in Montreal and then come back when construction season's over. Amen. And so some of you did that. What, what was that? Was that a satanic desire? Did you get a condo in Florida because you gave over to the will of Satan? And actually, God, if he had his way, not only would you not have a condo in Florida, you'd burn your house to the ground in Montreal and go live in a tent under a bridge somewhere and not enjoy anything? No. That, that desire to reach for more comes from God. Can you say amen? The desire to expand and increase is something God put in there. It's not your ambition. It's your birthright as a child of God. So let me see the scripture again. Faith is the substance of things we hope for, being the proof of things we do not see and the conviction of their reality. The proof of things we do not see. So I had him say this on day one, but there's new people here. Say this, faith is not believing in what doesn't exist. It's believing in what I can't see. All the things you're believing for out of the word, God's already made them. They're there. Your senses just don't have them yet. So, and the conviction of their reality. Faith perceiving, say conviction of their reality. A lady in a wheelchair came to one of R.W. Shambach's meetings. She hadn't walked in like nine years, 13 years, something like that. 
And when they wheeled her up in the wheelchair, you know what she had in her hands? A pair of brand new red high heels. That's called an expectation. And Brother Shambach prayed for her. She jumped out of the chair and put those red high heels on and walked back to her purse. That's a conviction of the reality. When you go out and buy shoes, when you haven't walked in 13 years, that's not keep me in prayer. That's take me to the shoe store. I'm getting out of this thing. Amen. Hallelujah. The conviction of their reality. Faith perceiving is real fact. What has not yet been revealed to the senses. Now put verse 6 up. Let's go into the two pillars that have to be in place for faith to work. Hebrews 11.6. But without faith. Now there'd be, no, there'd be no need to take a week to teach on a subject. If it said without faith there's alternate ways to please God. Or if it said without faith it's difficult to please God. But it says without faith it's what? Impossible to please God and be satisfactory to him. For whoever would come, say this out loud, my faith, my faith pleases, God. pleases God. You know, Sister Angie, I really love you. I'm not going to hug you again because in the political climate, if you do that too much, people, people start thinking things. But for you to treat me the way you did when I was 23, you know, I didn't have any kind of ministry. I didn't even have suits that fit right. And you, you believed in me. Isn't it great that all the people that the devil sends that don't believe in you, God will send you one person that believes in you and helps you. You're going to have that before the end of this year in Jesus' name. You know, um, my, new, my new best buddy, Jesse Duplantis, he said that one of the last times he went to the bank this year, the bank president found out he was coming to make a deposit, came out, and they had food for him. And he said, you know, I just want to congratulate you. Brother Jesse said, how come you didn't treat me like this 20 years ago? He said, well, in fairness, he said, you, you weren't 20 years ago what you are now. He said, no, I was the exact same person. You just couldn't see it. See, God's taking you somewhere. People might not be able to see it. They judge by your clothes and the car you're driving. But you're, the, you're on the inside of you is something that's going to go to the top. Can you say amen? I see you taking your place at the top in Jesus' mighty name. The last dry season that you ever had is going to be the last dry season you ever have in Jesus' name. Without faith, it is impossible to please God and be satisfactory in Him. But then take the flip side. When you use your faith, you become satisfactory and pleasing to God. God didn't have any problem with me talking about having a thousand people in our church at a prayer meeting with 40 people. That we're going to a thousand. We're on a journey to a thousand. I said, okay, I can accommodate that. That's somebody that's using their faith. It makes me pleasing and satisfactory. Where religion will tell you, oh, you shouldn't talk like that. You sound arrogant. There's an arrogance. Arrogance is not anything to do with faith. They're not even in the same stream. You don't know what arrogance is? It's not talking big. Arrogance is not coming to church. Arrogance is not praying. That's, that's active arrogance. Oh, I got this. I don't need God. You know, I don't really need to pray. I'm actually very smart. I have, I have several degrees from prestigious universities. And so prayer is not really my thing. That's arrogance. Faith, speaking the word of God to the annoyance of religious people is not arrogance. Amen. It actually makes you satisfactory to God. For whoever would come near to God must necessarily, now here's the two pillars. Just like you're sitting on a chair that has four legs, and if you kick any of those four legs out, you, you will hit, hit the ground. Faith has two pillars, and if both of these pillars aren't in place, 
it won't work. Anyone that comes to God in the King James must believe that he is. Not that there is a God. Not that there's some higher power. You must believe that God is who he revealed himself as in the Bible. Did anybody listen when I did the series on YouTube or whatever you watched it on? On the understanding God by his names? So God gave names of himself in the Bible. When you hear someone say, I don't know that God heals. Well, you don't know God. He didn't say, I'm God and I heal. He said, my name is Jehovah Rapha. I am the Lord who heals. So if you just will understand God by his names, I'm Jehovah Rapha, the Lord that heals. I'm Je Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who provides. El Shaddai, the many-breasted one, the God of more than enough. Uh, Jehovah Sitkanu, the Lord our victory, the Lord our righteousness. How many know we're all sinners? No, the Lord our righteousness. God's my righteousness. I know God by his names. I don't have some idea of what I made up God to be that fits Canadian narratives or American narratives. God is the God of Abraham. It's not some generic God or force. He is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob revealed in his word. So A, that God is. And then here's where you lose a lot of people that don't know they got lost. Because people believe God is. And they know about God from the Bible. But if this second pillar is not in place, the thing collapses. You must believe that God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Not a punisher, not neutral. God is a rewarder. God's not looking to kill you. He's looking to bring you life. God's not looking to cause your life to collapse. He's looking to lift your life up. There's a, a, uh, another independent journalist that when I started doing Check the News latched onto me and Dallas and said, let us know, let me know anytime you're in Massachusetts, I want to come to your church or I want to come hear you preach. I didn't have a church back then. So I was coming to Massachusetts and I gave her the heads up. You know, I had to talk to that lady four different times. I'm talking serious. She wasn't joking around. Man, if you knew how I live, when I come on the parking lot of that church, I'm going to get struck by lightning and die. She wasn't even kidding. I'm talking like 30 years old. If you knew how I lived, uh, if I come to church, and some of you have invited people to church and heard them say similar things to that. Oh, church is the last place I should be. If you knew how I live. They think from the devil that God's looking to take people out. You had that hurricane um, back in 2004 or 5. Hit New Orleans. What do you have preachers? I'll get on TV and say, God's judging New Orleans because of the wickedness in that city. Meanwhile, if you even saw where the hurricane went, it completely missed the French Quarter, which is where all the sin takes place. Secondly, if God sent a hurricane to destroy every city in North America that had sin, we'd be a continent of towns. Can you say amen? No, this isn't the time where God's looking to destroy. Now, after the rapture, that's different because the children get out of here. Now, it's not people that didn't decide to get saved. It's people that rebelled against God. Good luck finding anybody, even in Quebec, that's never heard the gospel. And if they haven't, they, they don't want to. It's on TV 24 hours a day. I'm on television in Canada once a week. I preach for one hour in the entire, I think it covers 97% of homes. So don't tell me you never, if you didn't hear, you don't want to hear. Or you have heard, or you, even if you haven't heard, you already have your mind made up. Those churches just want your money. Let's go to the casino where they don't want our money. You have some harsh thing to say. That, that keeps you from God. 
So those active rebels after the rapture, then because they rejected what Christ did, then the Lord's going to burn this place to the ground and start from scratch. I know that doesn't get a lot of amens. I thought he was a faith preacher. I'm telling you, now is the time of God's favor. But when you start watching this filth and what they're doing to children, the Lord, now you can start to see, it, always, it even seemed harsh to me in the 80s and 90s. Really? The Lord's going to burn this place by fire? Seems a little harsh just because there's some bars and strip clubs. But no, now when you see the pervasive wickedness of mutilating children and all that, that doctrine and stuff that's in people's minds that's being passed down, the Lord says, if you want to be on my side, get right with me. But then everyone that chooses not to, I'm going to, the same way I destroyed the earth once with a flood and started from scratch, I'm going to torch this place with fire and make a new heaven and a new earth where everybody's right with God. Can you say amen? But this is not the time of God's torching because God won't burn the place to the ground with me here and he won't burn it to the ground with you here. You know, this, this needs to get in people's spirits. And if there's preachers watching me, you need to get, this is solid doctrine. I got interviewed on Christian TV at the start of the pandemic and the pastor, I kind of missed the show up because the pastor that was hosting the television show said, uh, Brother Jonathan, a lot of leaders believe that COVID is God's judgment against America because we allow abortion and have more abortions than any, any country or high abortion rate or whatever. Um, what do you have to say about that? I said, I think it's absolute garbage. And he, he, he was looking down his notes. He jerked his head up. He, why do you believe that? I said, because now's not the time of God's judgment. Now's the time of God's wonderful favor. I said, secondly, and if, if you know this, back in March and April, more people had died of COVID over the age of 85 than under the age of 80. So when he told me that, that this was God's judgment for people that had abortions, I said on Christian TV, why is God killing people that haven't been on a date in 65 years? Now, if you had people dropping dead at 19 at New York University or whatever, then maybe you could at least make a case outside of the Bible. But you, couldn't even make, you can't make a case from the Bible, and you can't make a case. God's upset at abortion, so he's killing whole nursing homes full of people? That, that, that's, that's insane talk. God is not looking to kill you. God's looking to bless you. I had to tell that um, journalist that. I said, do you think that somehow me and you found each other? Because it's part of God's plan to lure you to a church parking lot where he can strike you with lightning? Or do you think that God put me in your life to lure you inside the building where you can hear the gospel and be changed? God is a rewarder. He's not looking to hurt you. He's looking to help you. He's looking to bless you. He has great rewards for his children. If you fathers being evil know how to give good gifts to your children. Everybody say good gifts. How many know God meets the need, amen? No, not meet the need. When my daughter wakes up Christmas morning, it's not going to be an empty Christmas tree. And if you're an Italian over the age of 80, it's just an illustration. I don't allow Christmas trees anywhere near my property. There's not going to be an empty uh, Christmas tree. And her say, oh, no gifts? Yes, no gifts. Because your mother and I have met your needs. And you'll have your needs met today. We have some bread and uh, some water. And some vitamins so that you can live longer. I'm not interested in meeting my daughter's needs. That's like low on the list. I love seeing that kid smile. I love see, seeing her happy. And you know what Jesus said? If you fathers that are evil feel that way. Evil fathers treat their children well. 
Who was the guy down in uh, Colombia that ran the cocaine empire? Escobar. Escobar treated his son great. Al Capone treated his son great. If you fathers being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give good gifts? But then remember the last part. To all who ask. No, no, no. Matthew 7, 11. If you fathers being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give good gifts to all who ask? So if the devil knows all it takes is your asking, when you're living in obedience with God, then it makes sense that there would be teachings in religion that make you feel bad. Like let's say, let's say you're 27 and you're married and you had your first kid. Now you've had your second kid and now you have a third one on the way. And you're in a one bedroom apartment like Adonis and I were. And uh, the crib's in there. But now you have, you know, the first kid's now three. There's not really a place for them to sleep. You got the crib. Now you got a third one on the way. That apartment is now too small. There's probably nine out of ten churches you could attend in Montreal or Quebec that if you, had, if you started believing for that, you'd get the side eye or the stink. You'd get this like thing communicated to you that you're being selfish. You know, oh, really? So there's people that haven't eaten today and you want a bigger place to live? There are, do you know God's a big God? God's not up in heaven and you need to move out of your apartment to a bigger home. And him say, well, I can accommodate that, but just so you know, 10 kids in Uganda aren't going to eat today because I have to take money from them to build you a house. God has orphan food money. God has home money. God has land money. God has church money. God has jet money. God has all kinds of money. He actually owns all the silver and all the gold. And when you ask, he'll take care of you. Can you say amen? amen. I, um, I know a few preachers that, that are against, not when I say against, they're not like, I guess I'll just keep talking and you'll, you'll get what I mean. They, they don't like um, owning a, an aircraft. They like chartering an aircraft and they have reasons. So if you land and there's engine problems, it's like earlier this year. I couldn't take off because I was sitting in the back of the plane and when they turned the plane on, you could see big red lights on the dashboard. And I was like, oh, I'm not a pilot, but I know in the car, those are bad. So then they said, uh, you know, you can tell they try to keep you calm. They're like, hey, we, just a little problem here. It's like, first of all, even if you can get the problem fixed, I'm not sure I want to fly anymore. There's no breakdown lane in the sky. So one of the things about chartering an aircraft is if something goes wrong with the plane, you know, and they weren't able to get it fixed. I was glad I didn't own that plane. I'm sure whatever's wrong costs a lot of money and good luck paying for it. I'm gonna go charter another plane. So the people that don't like to own an aircraft, that's why. It's your plane when you're using it, and as soon as you land, it's somebody else's plane. So I was talking, uh, I wanted to hear what Jesse Duplantis' reasons were for why it's an advantage to own a, an aircraft. And he gave me really good reasons. So one of the things that he said, which just shows you how these guys think, which was, it just changed my thinking. He said, well, if you do end up buying your own aircraft, I'll tell you one thing, your offerings will immediately go way up. I said, why is that? That doesn't make any sense. You know, someone's gonna come to my meeting and go, I wasn't gonna give him the offering, but then I heard he has his own plane, so I'm gonna give a ton of money now. Usually it's the opposite. <laughs> I was gonna give a lot, and I heard that guy owns a jet, and he can kiss off for all I care. So I said, why will people give more money? Why will my offerings go up because I own a jet? He said, because jets cost a lot of money and God's not stupid. <laughs> so you realize it's not about you trying to raise money. It's God has 
pockets of wealth for all the things. Pastor Steve doesn't have to sell his house to help construct the sanctuary. We don't have, they don't have to cut the youth program and say, we're not going to have the youth go on retreats anymore because we need to build the sanctuary. That, that's how low-level people think. God has youth money. God has house money for the pastor. God has sanctuary money. God has sound equipment money. He doesn't have to take from one thing to get to another. Can you say amen? Say this out loud. God can bless me and bless what I'm doing. And I'll tell you, if you're in the ministry, God has ministry money and God has you money. And I've had God do so much for me personally in certain meetings that I actually thought, Lord, I also have a ministry and people that need paid this week. You know, I, I would actually, I've had meetings where more came in for me than came in to the ministry. Where people said, hey, we already gave in the ministry, but I, I felt the Lord speak to me to bless you. And so it actually got to a point where it was like, you know what? I'd like to flip this because, but you realize God's not concerned. He doesn't have a limited amount of money. And I'll tell you another thing. There's no limited amount of money on this earth. Stop listening to politicians. Not one dollar of money has left the earth. Every, every drop of wealth that was ever on this planet is still here right now. It's just in the wrong hands being kept back from the right people. But the wealth of the wicked is laid up for the just. And this year you're going to experience the blessing of God flowing into your hands like never before. So start thinking big thoughts. Start dreaming big dreams. Start speaking big words. Today is the smallest you'll ever be. God has a big place with your name on it in Jesus' name. If you receive that, go ahead. Take 30 seconds. Clap your hands, all ye people. Shout unto God. You're not going to finish where you started. Hebrews 11.6. But without faith, it's impossible to please and be satisfactory to him. For whosoever would come near to God must believe that God is and that he is, both things, a rewarder. Well, if God wants to do that, that's fine. But if he doesn't, you don't understand. Nothing's going to work for you. It's not if he does. Yeah, I know God said that in the Bible, but in case he changes his mind and lied, then fine with that. God doesn't change. The Bible says there's no variance, James chapter 1, in whom there is no variance or shadow of turning. He doesn't change. You know, it's funny how so many policies that they're trying to ram through Canada and America that are predicated on socialism, they want equal outcomes. You can't have equal outcomes uh, from people. If you raise three kids in the same household, you can't get them to turn out the same. With everything the same, they all turn out different. One's an F student, one straight A's and goes to McGill, and the other one goes out and plays in the woods. And they were all raised by the same two parents. So if you can't get three kids in the same house to turn out the same, how are you going to get, you can't, you can't, you can't uh, uh, mandate equal outcomes. You can only give people equal opportunity. Amen. You know, even if we could achieve the socialist dream, let's say right now some vacuum cleaner got turned on and all of our money got sucked out of our pockets into one big tank and then they divided it by seven point. Two billion people or however many there are. And everybody, let's say it factored out that everybody got $400,000. And we said, finally, now there's equality. Everyone has 400000 So if you're Elon Musk, it was a bad day. You went from $40 billion to 400000 But if you're a college student, it was a good day. 
You went from $6 to $400,000. Did you know by the end of this week, it's Wednesday, by Friday, there would be people that are, actually, it won't even take till Friday. There would be people that were completely broke by two in the morning this morning. They'd rent a ballroom somewhere at a casino or, or throw a huge party, get Cristal, get the most expensive liquor you could get, hire dancing girls, drive there in a Bentley, and their money, there would actually be people that would be in debt by tomorrow morning. Can you say amen? And then there'd be other people, who we like to call Italian people, that would put that money away, start making wise decisions with the money, and they would be in the millions of dollars within about one year or two years. And you'd have inequality all over again. Because you can't dictate the outcomes of what happens with people's money. Your life is determined by your decisions. In fact, I would tell you that's the difference between the sovereignty of God message and the faith message. God doesn't determine my destiny. My decisions determine my destiny. And the Bible teaches you how to make decisions according to the word of God. Let's see that again. Hebrews eleven six, Amplified Classic. Must believe that God is and that he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. Turn to Matthew chapter 25. Matthew, the 25th chapter. How many of you are getting something out of this uh, this morning? Even that lady's getting something on like a 10 second delay, but she, she's getting something. Matthew 25. Verse 14, again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants and entrusted his money to them. Everybody say money. While he was gone, he gave five bags of gold to one, two bags of gold to another, and one bag of gold to the last. So that they use talents in the King James, but it's not singing and you multiply your singing talent. He didn't give them bags of singing. He gave them bags of gold. So ta talent was a unit of measure. Uh, and he gave it in proportion to their abilities and then went away on a trip. So it's like Jesus. Jesus gave those talents to us as his servants in proportion to their abilities. And then he went away on a long trip. He's going to come back. While he was gone, the servant that received five bags of gold began to invest the money and earn five more. Everybody say double. The servant with two bags of gold also went to work and earned two more. Everybody say double. But the servant who received the one bag dug a hole in the ground and hid the master's money. After a long time, their master returned from his trip and called them to give an account of how they had used his money. The servant to whom he had entrusted the five bags of silver came forward with five more and said, Master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest and I've earned five more. The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in handling this small amount. So now I will give you many more. Let's celebrate together. The servant who had received the two bags of gold came forward and said, Master, you gave me two bags of gold to invest, and I've earned two more. I know it says silver in the New Living for some reason. There's an asterisk after it every time because it's gold. The master said, Well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in handling this small amount. Now I'll give you many more. Let's celebrate together. Then the servant with the one bag of gold came and said, Master, and then uh, the New Living says responsibilities along with the money. 
There's no doubt in my mind, and I'm not saying this to compliment myself, that the reason God added building a church onto my plate was he was pleased with how I stewarded my evangelistic ministry. And it didn't shut down the evangelistic ministry. I'm preaching as much this week as I'd preach if I wasn't pastoring, plus with an extra service on Sunday in Pittsburgh. The way it works with God is when you use well what you're given now, he adds more to your plate. And as you use well what he's given you now, it increases your capacity to handle more. Back when I first met Brother DeStalo, Adolis and I were just starting out in the ministry. We needed $3,200 a month to break even. So I had my faith out for $3,200 a month. I'd fast and pray. It took, it was, there was no place for it to come from. I had no partners. I had no meetings. So like, let's say I'd use my faith to have two guys call me for meetings. Or like happened with Brother DeStalo where he, he knew my dad and said, well, next time you come to Montreal, can you bring your son with you? I'd love for him to preach at our youth rally for our uh, uh, Canadian Assemblies of God churches in Montreal, and then I'll have him preach on Sunday night too. So then I'd have to believe God that, that something good was going to happen where we'd be able to meet, meet that budget. Even uh, Sister Angie, I'm sure she wouldn't like me, me telling this, but it's like when I went to leave her house, after all the good things she did, her and her husband slid me an envelope and said, we want to give this to your ministry, which helped me meet that. I had to use my faith for that, $3,200. Well, now, this year, when your church grows like ours grew and the evangelistic ministry grows and everything else, expenses grow. When we moved from our one building to the big building that we're in now, Montour Junction Sports Complex, we had to keep renting more sound equipment to fill the building because, you know, the, the sound equipment you were using for 260 people, you can't use for 1,000 people. Well, it got to a point where the sound equipment rental every week was $30,000 not counting stage, not counting all the other stuff. And so Nick back there, great job by the way, found somebody that was selling a better sound equipment than the one we were renting for $270,000, which over time is gonna save us, I mean, that, a lot of money, but it's still $270,000. So our expenses went from five million a year to 12 million a year, this year, in one year. And our income came from seven million and doubled to 14 million. You know, I'm glad last year when I went to go hear Dr. Jerry Savelle and he said, whatever God did in your life this last year, he's gonna double it. I'm glad I didn't look over to Dawson and go, that's those prosperity guys, you know. They, they talk like that. I'm glad I had enough sense to lift my hands and say, say, do it, Lord. Now, I didn't know at that time, we budgeted that the expenses this year would be seven million. And that's what they should have been, but the Lord exploded the growth, which exploded the expenses. Thankfully, we don't serve a stupid God. He doesn't explode your ministry and they go, oh shoot, that costs a lot of money. Uh, good luck, Jonathan. No, but I bring that up because A, in the board meeting in February, when I heard that we were gonna have $7 million of expenses and our record year was that year, $7 million, I thought, man, we, we have to minimum do exactly what we did last year just to break even. That's a lot. Well, it turned out, if someone would have told me in February at that board meeting, Jonathan, we had a record year. Seven million came in. But this year, if 12 million doesn't come in, we need that just to break even. I would have clutched my chest and gone to meet Jesus. My heart would have stopped working on the spot. Now, forget that. If someone would have told me in 2005, you're going to need a million dollars a month to break even when it took all my faith to get 3,200 a month, 
I would have just, well, I had a third floor apartment building. I would have opened the window. I would have gone like this. Flung myself to the ground. Because I'd say, there's no way. The money I was believing God for every month now has to come in about what? I'll have to do the math. Every two or three hours? And I didn't have the capacity for that back then. So the reason the Bible says, despise not the day of small beginnings, for your latter end will greatly increase. God actually has to give you small things to develop your capacity. Then as you conquer that, you get stronger and you get stronger and you get stronger on the inside till your capacity has the ability to handle all the things that God is putting in your hand. I'm going to tell you right now on this Wednesday, that's what God's doing by his spirit on the inside of you right now. He's increasing your insides. He's increasing your faith. He's increasing the capacity of your mind to be like the mind of Christ so that he can put big things on your plate. And instead of grabbing your heart or flinging yourself out the window, you'll say, I know the Lord is making a way where there is no way. And the God that started me out is going to bring me to the finish in Jesus name. Come on. If you receive that on this Wednesday morning, clap your hands one more time unto the Lord. Somebody say, Lord, increase my capacity. Anybody ever hear of Dr. Lester Summerall? When he started that church in South Bend, Indiana, the Lord spoke to him the word Hercules. And he said, I couldn't understand why every time I prayed, the Lord kept giving me the name of a false Greek God. It was like bothering him. What do you mean Hercules? I'm not, I don't, I'm not into Greek mythology. I serve you. So he looks up what Hercules is. You know, this is before the internet where he actually had to look stuff up at the library. So he finds out that Hercules is the name of a C-130 military transport plane. The kind that they load vehicles in. It has that bay that opens up and can take big tankers overseas. And the Lord said, I want you to get one of those because the Soviet Union's going to collapse and they're going to need food. And if you'll load that plane with food and tell the government you can help them, Moldova, Belarus, on down the line, You'll be the first one in there to preach the gospel and tell them about Jesus. The government will invite you in. So the Lord told him that. Well, here's the problem. If there's a military plane, which a C-130 is, it doesn't matter if you're a trillionaire. You're not allowed to buy military equipment because you could sell it to the Chinese or whoever, and then they could replicate it. So if, if it's military, it's classified. So Summerall attended. See, these guys were different. He attended U.S. Senate hearings to get that plane declassified for civilian use so that he could buy one. Secondly, as he's attending the Senate meetings, he has a hangar constructed at the South Bend Airport that can hold that plane. That's the largest plane there is in the world. So he had the largest airplane hangar constructed at the South Bend Airport. And when other businessmen would say, what are you building at this airport? Why are you building such a big hangar? What, what plane is that for? It's for a C-130. Those are military planes. You're not allowed to have one. And they, he said, I was the laughing stock of South Bend. Everybody thought I was nuts. Just like they think you're nuts if you build a big boat in the middle of Iraq. That's where Noah lived. Mesopotamia. He's in Iraq building a huge boat. Hey, uh, what are you doing? We're in a desert. Not for long, we're not. <laughs> Say this out loud. Faith sees the future. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Man, I feel a wind coming in my spirit. Say, faith sees the future. 
So he doesn't say, well, if the Lord gets us this plane, then we'll build a hangar. No, the confident assurance of his faith. No, the, the plane's a done deal. I know what I heard in prayer. And so he has it constructed. So you look like an idiot until the time they towed the plane on the runway and put it in just like you said and you paid cash for it. Can you say amen? Can you say a better amen? So then he goes about getting the food for it. Mr. Kellogg from Kellogg's Corn Flakes donated a million pounds, uh, a million pounds of Kellogg's Corn Flakes. Then a bunch of other companies started giving him food. So he loads the plane up and the second the Soviet Union falls, he makes some phone calls. The Lord told him, when you, when you do the food, the food must stay in church hands from beginning to end or it'll be lost through corruption. Imagine that. So he did. He got the food. He got the plane. He delivered it himself. And when they said there was going to be food for everybody, they announced the meeting they were having at the soccer stadium. The soccer stadium was completely packed with people that had never been allowed to hear about Jesus before and wanted to hear about what they were never allowed to hear. And then he said it started to rain, torrential downpour. So they were going to go inside and maybe reschedule the meeting. But he said not one Russian person moved. Everyone stood in the pouring rain and unmoved. They wanted to hear the Bible. And he said, if they're not moving, I'm not moving. And if you've ever seen it, there's film of him in his 70s wearing a, a, a raincoat with those big glasses on, stepping forward, telling the Russian people with his interpreter about Jesus and then giving the altar call and every single person filing down from that stadium to fill the field because God has a plan for your increase. There was a time where he was believing God for food when he was sick. 16, preaching in schoolhouses. But don't mind where you are now. Mind where you're going. Be faithful with what the Lord's giving you. He's increasing your capacity to handle the great things that he's getting ready to drop in your lap. With God, you never finish where you started. You never finish where you start. He had, he who uses well what he's been given, he will be given even more and have an abundance. I tell you in advance, congratulations on the abundance of heaven being poured into your lap to steward for the kingdom of God. If you believe it, can you say amen? amen? Now, where would Summerall have gotten if he had a board of directors that said, well, you have to use wisdom too. You know, Brother Summerall, it's actually impossible um, to get one of those planes declassified. It was the equivalent of saying you're going to buy an F-16. You can't buy them. They're not sold. It's illegal for you to have it as a civilian. Brother Summerall, um, I think he's getting, as he's getting older, I don't think his mind's working right. He's having this huge. So if you're going to do great things for God, you're going to have to surround yourself with people of faith. If I had the board of directors at my church that the churches had that I grew up in, we'd have about 120 people. And it would take us about 10 years to get to 200. If I had to run every stupid decision by a group of people that are half saved. Just because you did well in your plumbing business doesn't make you an elder. Any more than me doing good at preaching makes me a plumber. They have nothing to do with each other. Well, I've done very well in business, so I, yeah, it's not, it's not the kingdom of God. It's a totally different flow. If Summerall, if he had a normal board of directors, oh, you can't do that. Number one, you have to think of this, Dr. Summerall. You're constructing this multi-million dollar airplane hangar 
and there's probably only about a 20% chance the Senate's going to let you have the plane. So it's going to be a huge loss. At the least, you know, let's wait to build the hangar until you have the plane. That's called natural thinking. And natural thinking is not going to get you a son named Isaac when you're 99 and your wife's 90. How many know we have to... Let me, let me tell you, this, this pretend wisdom that's not wisdom, that disguises itself as wisdom, that's actually unbelief. Why did every church shut down during COVID? What were they using? Wisdom. No, I know the Bible says there's healing, but we have to use wisdom. What wisdom is there higher than the Word of God? The Bible says... This is what God said. This is what God said. This is not like to be entered into the argument and then we see what Mike the financier thinks. This is God speaking. And he said, you should be meeting together more often. Meeting together. How many know whether we're together or at home, it's the same God. Liar! We should be meeting together more often instead of less often as we see the coming of the Lord approaching. That's what God said. Well, the authorities said that we can't have church. You know, God said in the Bible, he warned bishops not to lord their authority over the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. If bishops are warned to be careful, how much more careful should outsiders be? This is not your church. This is not, because it's in Montreal, doesn't make it property of the Montreal City Council. There's a reason the founders of almost every European-influenced nation had sense to say, the church will remain a separate entity because we will not touch a holy thing. And you saw one leader after another acquiesce. And how are their churches doing now? Badly. They failed the test, and when you fail a test, there's a penalty. I know it gets quiet. We're launching our new campaign here in Montreal called It's Time to Come Back to Church. It was time to come back to church in March 2020. The church is called to stand against evil, not duck and hide till the evil goes away. I'm glad I'm speaking to a room full of Christians who will never bow their knee to the evilness of this world, but will stand for Jesus for the rest of their life. Come on, if that's you, let the Lord hear your hand clap today. just tell you this. Faith doesn't seek out safety. The flesh seeks out safety. If your goal in life is to not get arrested, you're not going to do much in the realm of faith. Well, we need to be careful. You know, there's a guy on the city council. He didn't actually like a few of the things that were said. Okay. People are welcome not to like things that are said. When I got that permit to go preach that open air meeting in Philadelphia, and let it rip. And was talking about the heinous things that go on in Philadelphia. The head of the government that was there said, he didn't have to say all that. Yeah, you charge me 48000 for a permit, I'm going to say whatever I want. He's going to charge $7,500. And then when he found out it was a gospel meeting, he charged $48,000. So, you think I'm going, to, I'm going to go soft on sin because you like sin? And you promote sin and your government party makes money off of sin? You need to be careful. There's certain people that are here that, no. Preach the word. Preach the word of God. 
In America, we can blame the Democrats all we want. In Canada, you can blame the Liberal Party if you want. But every problem in a nation can be traced back to a weak, compromising church. Run by weak, compromising leaders. Because what happens is, when you have a political system where you're voted into power, it turns you into a politician without you knowing it. You got different camps that you got. And you stop being a principled person that does what's right, regardless of who likes it or who doesn't like it. Now, I'm just going to throw this out here because we have several senior pastors that are here and we have a lot more that are watching online. I do have a board of directors. Every one of them is a minister. They have their own ministries. And we meet to discuss things with people that know about the ministry that are ahead of me. I run ideas off of other ministers who have been where I've been. Rodney Howard Brown's not on my board of directors, but I don't make any major or mediocre decision without running it by him. I'm thinking about doing this. What do you think about this? Because he's been where I've been. He rented Madison Square Garden in New York City for six weeks and held meetings there. He knows the things I'm attempting to do, he's done. I go to rent a stadium for a crusade, he's already done that. Arenas, already done that. Can talk to me about unions you have to deal with. <laughs> do you know he went to go rent Madison Square Garden again to do a meeting? The union so controlled New York, you weren't allowed to have your own catchers when you laid hands on people. It had to be done by union people. And union people had to receive the offering when you took the offering. So it made it impossible to hold the meeting there. But guess what? I know that stuff now. I didn't have to find that out firsthand. I know him. So you put people in you, A, around you, that are people of faith. Turn to Proverbs chapter 13. Proverbs the 13th chapter. Verse 20. Walk with the wise and become wise yourself. But the companion of fools will be destroyed. Walk with the wise and become wise yourself. But the companion of fools, the Bible says, will be destroyed. In New Living Translation, associate with fools and get in trouble. Another I think it might have been the first version of the New Living Translation. The companion of fools will be destroyed. Who you run with. Now, I've been teaching all this stuff on faith. If you're going to go forward in life, it is imperative that you surround yourself with people that are headed forward in life. You can't go forward dragging an anchor. And what? Turn to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis 12, 1. This is our father in the faith. The Lord said to Abram, leave your native country, your relatives and your father's family and go to the land that I will show you. First instructions to get what God had for him. Leave your native country, leave your relatives and leave your father's family. What's the greatest source of frustration in most Christians' lives? They're trying to cart all their unbelieving family and relatives to believe what they believe. And the Bible says the old skin can't hold new wine. I've been coming to revival meetings. It's been so great. I got baptized in the Holy Ghost. Yeah, I watched a little bit of that on Facebook Live. To me, it just seemed like a bunch of hype. And then you start devoting 18 months to trying to get your half backslidden uncle 
to get on fire for God. Jesus never wasted any time trying to get Pharisees. You're never going to read any verse in the Bible where Jesus came to the Pharisees and Sadducees and said, hey guys, I think you're misunderstanding a lot of what I'm saying. We're both using the same scrolls. I think if we could sit down together, we would find out we have more in common than we have apart. No. He'd actually insult them and keep going and then find people that were hungry and spend time with them. So if you want to have a frustrated Christian life, try to drag everybody from your old life into your new life. Because it doesn't work. You can't take, take people with you that aren't, aren't interested in going forward. The people that don't want to possess the promised land, that miss the garlic and leek of Egypt and want to turn back, you have to let them turn back. And then as you do, God will bring new people into your life. Do you know when I was younger, I had guys sit me down. I'm very nervous, you know, about the direction you're headed. You seem to be really getting in to the health and wealth message. Well, I guess me and you, the Bible says, how can two walk together unless they agree? I guess we have to part company. Because I, I know what I believe. I can prove. And then I'd tell them from the Bible. They weren't interested in the Bible. No, I know the Bible says that. But my mother-in-law got cancer and we prayed and she was never healed. So, so what? Your mother-in-law is not a Bible character. Our faith is not in what happens to us. Our faith is not in our life experiences. Our faith must be rooted in the word of God. And if you do suffer a defeat, never build your theology around a defeat. Well, I used to believe that, but... What? Insert negative story. You know, I lost my business and went bankrupt. Well, if you ever want to get one back and have it do double, tell the devil, you're not going to, this defeat, I might not be able to change. But I'll tell you one thing I am going to change. It's not going to shape my belief going forward. And the devil's going to pay me back for everything that he did in Jesus' mighty name. John 10.10. 10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I told you that story about that man that I spent time with on the phone yesterday whose son was brutally killed in an automobile accident. 32 years old, 18-wheeler not paying attention, hits him in the back and throws him through the windshield, dead, 32. He called me yesterday having a hard day. When I met with him and his wife before I left, because I'm their pastor, I said, uh, the Bible says, I said, the only thing I'm going to tell you out of the Bible is this, I'm just here to hug you and sit with you as you go through a hard time. The Bible says, mourn with those who mourn. You can't go in 24 hours after someone's kid died and try to put a nice bow on it. Well, we don't know why these things happen. We have to put our trust in the Lord. Amen. That makes people feel like punching you. So I just sat there. I said, the only thing I'm going to tell you from the Bible is this. The Bible says the thief comes to steal, kill. And I said, you'd think you'd be done after kill because what are you going to do after you kill? It's over. But there's a third thing, destroy. I said, they tell you about 80% of marriages end in divorce after a child dies. Because the devil that killed is now going after the marriage. And the next thing you know, the mom's on antidepressants and can't work because she's medicating herself into oblivion to deal with the pain. And now the husband's snapping at her because of the stress. And so the marriage gets destroyed. The kids turn to drugs because their parents aren't around. So the devil will take one thing, and if you let it run, he'll, he won't stop till, every, till you've lost your business, you're unemployed, you're on drugs to, to deal with what happened. That's the devil. So I said, I can't bring your son back. I trust one day we'll meet him again in heaven. But I can, with you right now, my focus is on stopping phase three, which is destruction. I said, so I know this might be an odd time to ask you this. But if you could ever go travel somewhere, 
Where would be your favorite place to go in the United States that you've never been that you'd like to go? And the wife said, see, just get people thinking on a different path. Oh, they said, actually, we got married in 2020 and the pandemic hit. and We were never able to take a honeymoon. I said, well, let me tell you, obviously now's not the time. You've got the funeral to prepare for. I said, but after the funeral, all the well-wishers are going to go away and it's going to hit a lull and you're going to be by yourself and it hurts. I said, so when it does, take me up on my offer. I'll fly you anywhere you want, put you in any hotel you want, and take care of all your food. So if the devil wants to now destroy your marriage, let's send you away for seven days to have the best seven days you've ever had in your marriage to stick it to the devil in Jesus' name. Say this out loud. I'm not allowing the devil to dictate my future based on a defeat in my past. You'd be hard-pressed in this day and age in a room this size to not find people that have gone through very hard things. But you make up your mind, I'm burying that in the past. That's not going to affect how I interpret the Bible or healing. My dad's a preacher. His three brothers are all preachers. They're all faith preachers. If somebody told me, called me today and said they were all killed, all of them got in an automobile, like Job, all of them are dead. It wouldn't make one difference of what I preach tonight. Because whatever happens, we'll, we'll find it out. The Bible says in Deuteronomy, the secret things belong to the Lord, but the things he has revealed belong to us and our children forever. Well, why did that happen? I don't know. And I'm not interested in playing spiritual detective to find out whose fault it is. I leave it with the Lord. But I can put my faith and stand on what the Bible says. And until you do that, then the cycle is just going to continue. Someone has to be the first one in the family to say enough is enough. I put a stop to Satan's reign of terror in my family. And by faith, I'm coming forward in Jesus' name. You got to surround yourself with forward advancing people. There's no chance I could have done what I did the last two years during COVID if I was hooked up with the wrong people in ministry. I talked to Assemblies of God people in the United States that their presbyter called them and said, if you don't shut your church down, we're going to take your credentials. So they not only had to fight the public and the government, they had their own denomination working against them to shut their church down. The, uh, the PAOC, there's a different PAOC out in uh, the Maritimes. What's the other one called? There's the PAOC and then there's one with like another letter in it. Yeah, Newfoundland. The Newfoundland PAOC mandated vaccine passports in all their churches, full gospel church. And if you want to put it in, you couldn't be a pastor for that church. Reprobate. They're no more full gospel than I am a dancing circus bear. So, what would have happened? What would have happened if I was hooked up with people in the ministry that every time I did check the news at night, I got a phone call? You know, some of the things you said tonight are very strong. And you could make some powerful enemies. You're going to cause problems for us in our organization. You need to tone it down. When did people, you know, if you're in the ministry, you're not a politician. You're not trying to get everybody's vote. Jesus finished preaching sermons and people didn't say, you know what? I didn't enjoy that sermon. People picked up rocks to kill him. And point number three, I'm not waiting for point number three. They picked up rocks to kill him. What about Stephen? Turn it. I want you to see it in the Bible. Turn to Acts chapter 7. Well, we need to be Christ-like. That does put in the realm of possibility braiding a whip and flipping people's tables over. Acts 7. Stephen's preaching. 
Verse 51. You stubborn people. You are heathen at heart and deaf to the truth. Exclamation point. Must you forever resist the Holy Spirit? That's what your ancestors did, and so did you. Name one prophet your ancestors didn't kill. They even killed the ones who predicted the coming of the righteous one, the Messiah, whom you betrayed and murdered. You deliberately disobeyed God's law, even though you received it from the hands of angels. The Jewish leaders were infuriated by Stephen's accusation, and they shook their fists at him in rage. No, asterisk. Gnash their teeth. Shake their fists like it's a 1920s cartoon. They ground their teeth in rage. I've seen my mother do that once at me. That's a different level of anger. Imagine that. You're preaching and the crowd's going like this. Got the devil to flare up in them. And they ground their teeth in rage. But Stephen, full of a spirit of division, gazed steadily into hell. No. Stephen, full of what? Who was he speaking under the inspiration of? You know, the Holy Spirit doesn't have a nice thing to say to everybody. Read Ananias and Sapphira. Read Bar Jesus, the sorcerer, in Acts chapter 13. You son of the devil, full of every sort of, of wickedness and villainy, enemy of all that is good. And now the Lord has laid his hand of judgment upon you. That's, in, that's post-resurrection in the gospel of grace. So if you think Christianity, <laughs> it, like the only verse the government wants a Christian to know is turn the other cheek. How many know where to turn the other cheek? Well, you only have four cheeks. And you've likely turned all four by now if you're over the age of 35. The Christian life is not a life of getting trampled on. The Christian life is a life of victory. Yes, we're kind to people. But there comes a time if the enemy's challenging what God's called you to do. There comes a time to look the devil in the eye and say what needs to be said to go forward to the other side. Can I tell you something? Every infringement of the enemy against your life and destiny, it is cut down today in Jesus' mighty name. If you believe it, shout, I receive it. Jesus, then Stephen, full of the Holy Ghost. Full of what? That speech was a Holy Ghost speech. You stiff-necked people, deaf to the truth, heathen at heart. Now, I wouldn't preach to you like that because if you, you fight Montreal traffic to be in a 10 a.m. service on Wednesday. I'm, I'm not preaching to who's wrong with Canada. I'm preaching to who's right. But if, if I ever got the opportunity, they invited me to give a speech to the United Nations as a minister, I would preach a sermon called Touch Israel and Die by Jonathan Shuttlesworth. Because they're not, that's different. Can you imagine when the translator translated it? You see them all like that. It's like when they'd have Donald Trump speak at the UN, you'd also be. Look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the place of honor at God's right hand. 
That's a very difficult scripture to get around if you believe that there's only Jesus and there's no Trinity. Look, I see Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. That's a, that's a difficult scripture if you're oneness. Now, they put their hands over their ears and began shouting. They rushed at him and dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. His accusers took off their coats and laid them at the feet of a young man named Saul. As they stopped him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He fell to his knees shouting, Lord, don't charge them with the sin. And with that, he died. Now, let me ask you a question. How are you saying that harsh of things to people and then praying, Lord, forgive them? Because you're not, it's not the person. We're not battling flesh and blood. We're battling spirits. So when somebody comes to do something, like shut a church down, you're not, though you're speaking to them. When Jesus said to Peter, Satan, get behind me. That's harsh. He's talking to the spirit that was fueling Peter to say, hey, Jesus, quit saying you're going to go to Jerusalem and die. No, that's his mission. So whatever was inspiring him to say that was from Satan. Sometimes people have, actually, you'll do this sometimes, and the person will drop their shoulders and go, I don't know why I said that. Because you're being used of the devil. Any church that doesn't shut down, we will shut them down permanently. That's a demon talking. So if someone talks like that from the record of Jesus and the record of Stephen, you speak to the spirit that's behind them. I did that this year when there were people threatening to lock our church up. I said, men, be careful what you're getting ready to do. I said, that's not a threat. I am telling you, this is not a restaurant. This is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the next steps you make should be made with caution. All, all went away. You speak to that spirit. You challenge the thing that's trying to challenge you. Now, you might not be a minister or a CEO of a business, but you should do that with your house. Devil, you're not going to have my teenage daughter. I come against what's happening right now in the name of Jesus. Christianity, and maybe that's why I'm closing with this. The faith message, that's the difference between faith and sovereignty. Sovereignty, the, the sovereign Christian teaching is just accept whatever happens. Well, my daughter's not serving the Lord, but... You know, in this day and age, that's how it goes. And I just pray that one day she'll come back. Faith teaches you. There's an authority with faith that the Bible tells me how my life is supposed to be. The Bible tells me with long life, will he satisfy me and show me my salvation? If God said that, then anything that's trying to take me out early can kiss my gospel grits. I'm not going down. I'm going to have what God said is mine, and I'm going to stand against any force, natural or demonic, that would come against the promises of God. One more time. Every force, invisible or visible, that's coming against the word of God for your life, it is cut down today in the name of Jesus. Jesus Christ. If you believe it, shout, I receive it. You can't go forward with people committed to going backwards. And you can't go forward with neutral people just dragging people along. Who else could I have been hooked up with in the ministry that after I did check the news at night, one had given me a phone call, you need to, you need to, you need to take it easy, buddy. You're going to bring trouble on all of us. But God hooked me up when I was 31 with Dr. Rodney Howard Brown. I got ordained there when I was 34 who went to prison for keeping his church open. I'm going to tell you this because people need to hear this. What happened when he went to prison? Governor DeSantis found out about it and said, there's no way a pastor is going to jail for having church on Sunday while I'm governor of, of Florida. 
and he was released in 40 minutes. Then Governor DeSantis did a press conference the next day, outraged about what happened with Pastor Roddy. Now, if nobody took a stand, none of this happens. I mean, no, it's in his hands. No, he put it in your hands. It's for you to make moves. Can you say amen? Does a press conference the next day that in the future, all CDC restrictions do not apply to any churches, including six feet of distancing, including masking. He said, no one has any authority in the state of Florida to tell a church when or how to conduct their services. Well, then that puts Governor DeSantis on a bit of a different path. And he keeps going. And he says, actually, not only is it wrong to shut churches down, it's actually against the Constitution to deprive a man of his livelihood. So no businesses are allowed to be shut down by the government. Florida becomes the first populated state. Now, South Dakota remained open the whole time, but no one noticed because no one lives there. <laughs> but it was very helpful for the buffalo. No, I'm kidding. We've got friends from Sioux Falls watching. I'm just making a joke. But Florida's got a population. It's got Miami, Fort Lauderdale, Orlando, Tampa, Sarasota, ton, tons of big cities. Jacksonville. So then they get on the radar. And he opens the state for business. When Pastor Rodney took that stand, it actually set a chain reaction event of events. Now, New York shut down. Totally shut down. All the hedge funds, I won't say all the hedge funds, many hedge funds start saying, why are we operating in Manhattan? where we have to pay borough tax, state tax, and federal tax. And we're not allowed to meet in our office buildings. When we could go to Florida, where there's no borough tax, no state tax, and just federal tax, why are we even based in New York City? And they all start flooding down to Sarasota and Tampa. The fashion industry starts saying, we can have five times the real estate in Miami that we have in New York City. And in New York City, we're getting no foot traffic because it's shut down. The fashion industry starts relocating out of New York to Miami. When, this, when Rodney made that move, that caused DeSantis to make those moves, Florida then became a, a magnet for every productive person that wanted to remain in business during the pandemic. Now, you hear this talk about recession in the United States, it's, it's borderline. Some say we're in one, some say we're not. It's like right on the line. And they don't know which way it's going to go. But Florida on any metric, is not doing what the rest of the United States is doing. I'm telling you from somebody that just spent two weeks in Tampa. I flew down to help for the hurricane, and I flew down last week for the minister's conference. I was astounded to stand in downtown Tampa. I actually filmed it and put it on my Twitter. There's nobody dealing drugs. There's no homeless people laying in the sidewalk. There's nothing nefarious going on. There's no one speaking unkindly to someone. People are all dressed up. You can see the prosperity that's there. Because someone took a stand, and when they took that stand, it actually broke. Everything the devil had planned for Florida got, got driven straight out of the way. By the way, DeSantis won his election by about 13,000 votes. And the guy that he was running against that got caught with a gay prostitute doing crystal meth, that guy was a progressive, blue as blue get, Democrat. If that election wouldn't have gone that way, Florida would have been dark blue. It would have been no different than New Jersey during the pandemic. Rodney probably would, would have been in jail for a long, long time. But even back then, the Lord worked that out. You can go back even further. I'm not taking any stand in my church on politics uh, this election cycle. I almost never do. The one, now, I'll talk about political things, but I'm saying as far as a candidate goes. But in 2015 and 16, if you followed my ministry, 
I had a lot to say about Donald Trump and a lot to say against Hillary. I felt it in my spirit that this was important and the Lord wanted me to speak it. I went to Philadelphia. I went to Ferguson, St. Louis and talked about Trump and Hillary at an all black church. One lady got up and left. Everyone else heard me. It was dead quiet. And by the end, they were nodding in agreement. I was talking about principles. I was talking about the freedom of the church. And what happened? Why? It wasn't about Trump. When Trump got in, he flipped every federal court in the United States to conservative leaning, including the San Francisco uh, uh, district, the ninth district in California, that was the most liberal court. That's why they'd always file every lawsuit for transgender kids out in San Francisco. That court would pass it, and then the Supreme Court wouldn't do anything about it. When Trump got out of office, the Supreme Court went 5-4 conservative, and then when they went to flip Roe versus Wade, if you remember, protesters came outside of John Roberts' house and started harassing his family. He used to always vote liberal, and he hasn't voted liberal one time since, since those protesters attacked his family. They flipped him. So the Supreme Court, if Hillary Clinton had won, would have been 6-3 liberal. The federal courts would have all leaned liberal. Every pastor that challenged the mandates, it would have been no different than Australia. But all the way back in 2015, God was already setting things up to destroy the plan of the devil. Now I'm going to tell you, Canada's lagging a little behind, but God's the same God. God is working things out in Canada as we speak. The devil is not going to write the last chapter of Canadian history. I said the devil is not going to write the last chapter of Canadian history. The devil is not going to write the last chapter of Canadian history. The church of the Lord Jesus Christ is getting full of the fire of the Holy Ghost and will make one more run through this country again and see Canada shaken from Newfoundland to Vancouver from the top of the Yukon down to the Ontario border. Canada shall not be lost. Canada shall be saved. You're not going to watch it happen. You're going to be a part of it happening. Not by my not by power, but by the Spirit of Almighty God. Come on, take 30 seconds and clap your hands unto the Lord. Come on, give Jesus the highest praise. Stay on your feet. Phil, I just noticed you like, actually I just noticed Jamie right now. Come right around so everybody can see you. Come around. Turn around so people can see you. How many days in solitary confinement in New Brunswick? Seven. Pastor in New Brunswick. Seven days in solitary confinement with a wife and kids. And he's here. I'm preaching to champions today. I'm preaching to strong people today. New Brunswick told him that he couldn't have meetings indoors, so he put a tent up. In what month? November, and then the tent was up in January too, right? Minus what at the coldest? Minus 30, having church in, a, in those like big suits you wear to hunt. If he accidentally touched his tongue to the microphone, he'd have no tongue. And after doing all that and going in a tent in minus 30, they cited him because they said the tent had flaps and some of them were down. But look what God did. You know what God did? Remember when they were seizing all the Canadian money when, during the uh, trucker convoy thing? Pastor Rodney has a uh, Canadian ministry. And he said, well, if they're going to freeze everybody's funds, 
I'm just going to spend it all. So he bought how many acres of land? 11 acres. Building or no building? Uh, 11 acres in a mini dome like the one that's in Tampa. And now he came out of it with 10 acres of property. And his own building didn't have that before. Because the devil might have written the first chapter, but he's not allowed to write the conclusion. In Jesus' name. Proud of you. Proud of you, Jamie. Proud of you. Proud of you for standing. Amen? Stand. Now all the churches that complied out in New Brunswick, how are they doing? Eight people, 11 people, funds are down, had to do layoffs. See, some things seem right in the moment. They seem easy. But the right thing's rarely easy. And then when you take the right stand, you might seem unpopular in the short term, but when it finishes, you become a hero. Can you say amen? amen. You can't do those kinds of things if you're not surrounded by the right people. I don't have any churches in mind when I say this. I would not spend one Sunday of my life in a church that shut down and acquiesced to demonic tyranny and infringement on the church. Because you know right off the bat you're under weak people that are willing to bow their knee when the time's right. The only reason they're letting you not wear masks now is because the government said you don't. they would lock down next Sunday if they were told to. Once a runner, always a runner. Once a hider, always a hider. Say it with me. Once a runner, always a runner. Yeah. Your marriage starts getting difficult, so you take off on your wife. That'll be a pattern that follows you through your whole life. You stand and work things out. That's what Christians do. Can you say amen? Um, I'll give you an example. There's a guy that during the lockdown left his church that was in a lockdown state and moved down to Florida to start a church there, right? So then the hurricane comes. Now, what did Pastor Rodney do when the lockdown came? He stood and preached and got arrested. What did he do when the hurricane came? I don't know if you were following this last hurricane. Some of you do, because you... No one follows American politics more closely than Canadians. That's a fact. No more, they know more than Americans do. I've come up to preach in Montreal and say, who do you think is going to win your Pennsylvania sheriff's race? I didn't even know that was happening. Well, we're, we're monitoring it here. I'm actually betting on it in Montreal. Um, Pastor Rodney, if, if you followed the hurricane, where was there a 100% chance of it hitting? What city? Tampa. It was done. I mean, it wasn't like it might hit Tampa. It is going to hit Tampa. Now, this is more insane than having church during COVID. He won't send his Bible college students home. That's called attempted murder. <laughs> and has all 500 students stand in the sanctuary and they pray for six or seven hours in tongues for God to reroute the hurricane. Now, if that prayer doesn't work, you know, if you watch the video, the students were praying very hard because you pray differently when you're going to get sucked up and thrown into Kansas. If your prayers don't work. Yeah, you didn't see one student like this. Thank you, Jesus. Yeah. I don't want to die. And the storm supernaturally went down south. They prayed it off. He stood against COVID, stood against the hurricane. Beat back the COVID, beat back the hurricane. And then the guy that came down to Florida and started the church, he drove up to Georgia. It's a pattern. Run from COVID, run from the hurricane. Run from all trouble. But faith isn't running from trouble. 
Faith is dealing with trouble. Faith isn't going around mountains. Faith is telling mountains, hey, out of my way. Everything that represents a mountain in your life, I command it to move today in Jesus' mighty name. Every immovable mountain in your life, it gives way now in Jesus' mighty name. The problems you came in here with, you don't have them anymore. The Lord has dealt with the things that pertain to your life in Jesus' name. If you believe it, shout, I receive it. Let me tell you one more thing. Everybody say chain reaction. Rodney, DeSantis. Then DeSantis' wife gets breast cancer, right? DeSantis never ran as a Christian. I'm not saying he's not a Christian, but, and I actually respect politicians that do this. He, he never, he ran on principles. He wasn't one of those guys, I go to church, I pray, to try to get the church to vote for him. So, which I actually don't care about. I don't care whether you go to church or not. I want to know what your principles are. That guy that locked Australia down was an Assemblies of God guy that believed in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So if you vote for someone just because they say they're a Christian, you'll be the most easily tricked person the rest of your life. I want to know what your principles are. I'm not electing you because I need a pastor. I need somebody that's going to stand up for the Charter of Rights in Canada. Amen. So, um, Casey DeSantis gets, I think it was breast cancer. And then I notice, following her on Twitter, she starts going to charismatic churches and having them lay hands on her and pray for her. Now, I can't tell you for sure, but I, I, I would have to think the standing for the church opened you up and the kind of church that you stood for started pushing you in that direction. And then she got healed. She got her, her diagnosis, no cancer. DeSantis is up, I think, 15 points in that race with a week to go. And God's blessing that state. I'm telling you, if you go to Florida, that state, once they drop this vaccine mandate, which after next week, I think they will, because the Republicans are going to take the House and the Senate, so you can come down to Pittsburgh and see me. When you, when you go to Florida, amen, some of you are coming anyway. Got a buddy on Border Patrol, lowered by a basket over the wall. When you go down to Florida, you can see it booming. I'm talking there's cranes everywhere with stuff being built. The roads are nice. There's a, a prosperity that got ushered in there for, for honoring the church. These things are so real. The life of faith is such a glorious life. And you're going to walk that life the rest of your life. Can I tell you something? I haven't got into it yet. Start changing your confession this afternoon. Don't say, I need. Start saying, thank you, Lord, that I have. I need healing. Start saying, Father, I thank you that because Jesus took those stripes on his back, I possess my healing in Jesus' name. You don't need, God, does, God doesn't have to do, God doesn't need to send Jesus down to do one more thing. He's already provided. I said he's already provided. And now it's time by your faith to latch on to what's already yours. I just, I really need a financial breakthrough. Start saying, thank you, Father, that thou anoints my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Thank you that I serve a God of abundance. I serve a God of breakthrough. I don't lack anything. Your good hand is upon me. Now, I'm, I've been meaning to get into this the last two nights, but that subject of divine realignment. What happened these last two years in everyone's life is you, you got divinely realigned. I got, I got realigned in life. I started off, I ended up with Pastor Rodney, and like I told you, instead of having somebody that would call me up and say, 
you need to lay off. I watched Check the News tonight. He actually called me. It was one night I was very strong on Check the News. I was actually like upset because they were saying they were going to send contact tracers to take children out of the home. And I said a few things that were very strong. So I get in the car. You know, it feels good in the moment. Then when you're driving home, you're like, ooh. And my phone lights up right away. Rodney Howard Brown. It's like one in the morning. So that, well, must have gone too far if even he's calling me. So I answered. I said, hello. He said, listen, man. That was good tonight. You need to keep slamming it. He said, I know you think you're strong, but you need to get stronger. He said, this stuff's a demon spirit that's trying to take the nation out. You need to get on there and let it rip. Don't hold back. I was thinking, I'm not holding back. I, I was giving it all I got. So imagine how much more joyful your life would be if you didn't surround it with people that you had to argue about blessing and argue about healing and argue about revival. But you were meeting people are saying, hey, I, think you, I know you think you have a lot of faith, but you need to step it up. You need to come up where we're at. I, I know you're doing good, but start pressing into the things of God even harder than you are before. You might not have those people yet, but you will have them. And the first one is me. I'm here to encourage you. You know why you like my meetings? Because you found someone that's more crazy than you. Say, so, hey, my family thinks I'm crazy. Well, I might be a little crazy, but I'm not Jonathan crazy. That guy's crazy. That's how I feel with Pastor Rodney. Oh, Jonathan, you're, you're crazy. And I go down every May in October and sit in his meetings and go, I'm not that crazy. <laughs> Surround yourself with people that are ahead of you. Can't you say amen? My friend that I met last night from Vietnam, take two steps forward, lift both hands, close both eyes. This is a fresh touch of God's grace by the Holy Ghost. God's going to, as he already has, he's going to continue to put new people in your life that are friends, that hold you up. This is everything that got stripped from you and uh, wore you out. The Lord gives you a refreshing right now in Jesus' mighty name. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Her pastor asked her not to come back to her church because she's not vaccinated. It hurt, it hurt her. That hurts. You've got no business telling people that as a pastor. You're not a doctor. You're just on the government payroll. What business? Is, since when did it become a pastor's business? What shots you've had? I'm asking you that as a pastor. You don't hear me asking anyone. I have people come up to me. Hey, just so you know, I did get vaccinated. I don't care. Never cared. If you can't tell, you know why I seem different? Because I'm the same as I was in 1988. In the 80s, no one cared if anybody, what anyone did. You get your shots if you want. You don't get them if you don't want. I use language that was acceptable in the 80s that's no longer acceptable now. I haven't changed. I'm not going to change. The world is welcome to lose its mind. I'm not joining them. Can you say amen? Let's say all things work together for my good because I'm called of God. I love God. And I'm called according to his purpose. So I have a friend um, that's in another religion. And he went to his other religion. And they wouldn't let you in the main uh, room unless you were masked. And he won't wear a mask. And so he left because he's a, he's a strong guy. So he left. And he, his, one of his family members told me that he put me on the internet and watched me instead. See, 
It's all working out for good. Amen? I told you last night, told you the night before, and I tell you again today. Anything and everything that you lost during the pandemic, the Lord's going to give you back double like he did with Job. If you lost your business because they want to let you operate, you're going to have two businesses or that business back at double capacity. When I say double, I mean I'm talking numerically. I'm not talking some kind of spiritual Christian-y double. I'm talking two, one, two. If you lost friends, God will give you double the amount and doubly strong. If you have family that rejected you, God will put new people in your life that are like mothers and fathers in Jesus' name. That's what I thought was so great about my friend from Vietnam. She got kicked out by one pastor, then she made friends with me and made friends with Pastor Steve and found her new home and has friends in the front row already. Can you say amen? Yeah, I'm not gonna push around Vietnamese people. They're the toughest people on earth. Been through a lot? Yeah, you're tough. Very tough, see? Not tough, very tough. That'd be a good confession for all of us on the way out. Lift both hands. Say, thank you, Father, that where I was weak, you've made me strong. I'm not tough. I'm very tough. Say, I'm more than able to withstand every attack of the enemy and come out on the other side with the victory. Now lift your hands and with your, with your hands lifted, begin out of your mouth to thank God that you've received an impartation of the gift of faith today by his word, by his word. When he, and his spirit entered into me when he spake unto me. There's an impartation that comes from hearing the word of God on a subject. Go ahead. If you're filled with the Holy Ghost, begin to pray in the Holy Ghost. Thank you for the summer all kind of faith, the overcoming faith. Thank you for increasing our capacity. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' mighty name, in the name of Jesus. He that prays in an unknown tongue speaks mysteries unto man, but he speaks directly to God and builds himself up. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Let me pray for this lady in the blue jacket. I want to pray for her. You mind if I pray for you? Come with her. Lift both hands. Lord's going to strengthen your body in Jesus' name. As your faith reached out to God while I was speaking, the Lord gives you a touch for your body. Yes. In Jesus' name. And you as well. In Jesus' name. Be blessed. Be blessed in Jesus' name. Love you. God bless you. What'd you say? 
the answer on my prayer. Amen. That's right. God bless you. Let me pray for uh, Angie and Mr. DeVidio. Let me pray for you two real quick. My two friends. I love you. Lift both hands to the Lord. This is from the Bible. I'm not doing this because I'm your friend. He who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. Do you know what that means? To me, at 23, they did not receive me as a 23-year-old one year out of Bible college, and the pastors asked me to put him up, and I guess he needs some food. She told me at the end, I said, why have you treated me so nice? I've never, my mom does it, my mom is very nice to me and hasn't treated me like this. And she said, when, when Brother uh, DeStalo asked me, us to host you, the Bible says that whatever you do to the least of these, you've done unto me. So I decided to treat you as, as, as I would treat Jesus if he was staying in my home for three days. And I'm telling you, that wasn't an exaggeration. You could not have treated a human being better than I was treated. I'm still talking about it, right, 20 years later. And I, I travel about 46 weeks a year, and I've stayed in a lot of people's homes. Anybody else that I've stayed in your home, shame on you. <laughs> That's what it means. He received, I'm not saying I'm like some great prophet, but I'm saying for her to receive me, that that's God's servant. Like the woman in First Kings chapter, Second uh, Kings chapter four. I perceive this is a man of God that comes here by time to time. Let's build an addition onto her home so he has a place to stay. That's different. Well, now get what you're supposed to get. He who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. I loose the prophet's reward to you. Number one, your personal finances will explode from now through the end of your life. And it'll come from unexpected sources. It won't be from you working hard. In Jesus' name, and then receive strength for your body. In Jesus' name, in the name of Jesus. Be healed in Jesus' name. Be healed. I love you. Thanks for, in Jesus' name, I commend your body to get. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're here and you've never received, I haven't been doing this in the morning because they're, they're faith lessons for believers. But uh, if you're here and you're off track with God, you've allowed something into your life the Bible calls sin. And uh, no, you can stay. I don't care where he is. He can stand up by me and say something in the mic. He's my friend. If you're here and you got off track with God and you allowed things into your life that the Bible calls sin and you need to get rid of those things or that one thing. Some people, it's just one area of their life they've never surrendered to God. The Bible says in Song of Solomon, it's the little foxes that spoil your vine. 
If you want to come totally clean with God, get rid of sin and make Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior. Now, if you've been saved already this week, if you've come to the altar, you don't have to come again. Unless you murdered someone or committed adultery between last night at 11 p.m. and this morning at 10 a.m., which, I mean, at that point, you need the devil cast out of you. There's not even time to sin in revival meetings. So if you've come forward and given your life to the Lord, you've received Christ. You don't have to do that every service. But if you're here and you've allowed something in that God put his finger on, you know, when the Lord puts his finger on something you need to get rid of in a service, he's not doing it to make you feel bad. He's not doing it so you say, see, that's why it's not going to... He's saying, hey, listen, if you would just surrender that one thing to me and give me your whole heart, all these things will come to pass in your life without problem. If you need to do that this morning or this early afternoon, put your hand up high and wave it at me and we'll pray right now in Jesus' name. I see your hand. Who else? I feel like there's more. If the Lord's dealing with you, I see your hand. Where? All right. Go ahead, my friend. Come see me at the altar real quick. We'll pray together. Come right now. Nice to meet you. Lift your other hand. To, what's your name? John. I can remember that. Lift your other hand to the Lord. Just say this to God. Heavenly Father, I give you my life. I turn my back on sin. I believe in my heart. You raised Jesus from the dead. I confess with my mouth. Jesus is Lord and my Savior. Right now, I receive forgiveness. By the blood of Jesus, I am saved. In Jesus' name. Amen. Lift both hands to the Lord. Let me bless you. John, I bless you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. The thing you did now to get born again, I loose the angels of the Lord to help you and protect you and strengthen you. That where you used to be weak and experience failure, it'll now be one overcoming success after another. In Jesus' name. Amen. Welcome to the family. God bless you. Give John a big hand clap. Welcome him to the family of God. And give Jesus one more great big hand clap all over the auditorium. Say it out loud. A new day for Canada and a new day for me. You can be comfortably seated. I'm going to give you an opportunity to give. Not everybody comes to the night meetings. so I don't do morning services to double dip on, on the offerings. But there are people uh, watching online that would like to give and give heavily. And I want to thank everybody in Texas, New Mexico, and California, and Australia, South Africa, and all the places where you found me. I'm going, this is my first international trip since COVID. And then I guess November is going to be when the floodgates come open on it. I'm going to Ghana at the end of this month, uh, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday to preach at Dag Haywood Mills main campus in Accra, Ghana. So somebody told me, they said, that's a long way to go for three days. Oh, and there's going to be 13,000 people or more in the service. It's worth it. And it's amazing. It's amazing how people used to have to go to a country and round up 11 people and preach to them for, you know, 10 years and then get it to grow to 20 and 30. Now you can just go and hit it and make an impact in the nation. Amen? So um, what an honor. What an honor to be asked to do that. So uh, anyway, if you want to help send me over to Africa or send me down to Pittsburgh, the Bible says, how can they go? How can they hear unless someone goes? How can they go unless they're sent? So the offerings 
you send the word of God somewhere and then the Lord rewards you for it. Um, that thing I said about Angie and her husband, he that receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. To some people, Jesse Duplantis is a jokester, a very funny guy. To some people, he's a hyper prosperity preacher. But I recognize him as somebody that God sent to our generation to teach the word of faith. So when we were getting ready to make some big moves earlier in the year, I got $65,000 together and sent it to him. And at this point, we'd never talked much or anything. And I wasn't sending it to him to be his friend. I can be people's friends for much less money than that. But I needed, a, I needed the Lord to explode our finances. And so I didn't want to sow it to someone who sort of believes in prosperity. I wanted to sow it to someone who I know prays and believes for the hundred. I mean, any message you ever hear him speak, he says, don't give unless you believe in the hundredfold return. One lady gave him an offering and said, I don't believe in the hundredfold return though, but I wanted to give this to you. And he gave her the offering back. He said, I don't want anybody's offering that's not believing for what God said they could have. So I sent that to him. He called me from his house the next day to thank me, talk to me for about an hour. And then within eight days, we had someone send in 220 some thousand and another person send in 55,000. Actually, it was a church. They sent 50,000 from the church and then the pastor personally sent 5,000. Now I'm sure you normally get 260 some thousand in the mail in a week, but I, I connected the dots there. And then when he came up to preach, I saved up 125, I think thousand and uh, did it again and basically that's how I've gone from seven million in a year to 14 or 15 whatever we're gonna finish at is by the law of sowing and reaping and realizing there's men that God has given a message to on the earth and giving to them and then believing that what God said would happen would happen give and you shall receive your gift will come back to you pressed down shaken together and running over to make room for more our ministry has no debt our ministry has no loans. And uh, we tithe and give offerings. I think we're at two and a half million dollars that we've given away to other ministries and ministers, not just ministries, ministers personally. I have a friend that's in his 80s. He retired uh, from his church and he was in one of my meetings and I thought, you know what? I don't want this guy to have to run around preaching to try to keep paying his bills or getting food. Not that he has to, I'm sure he's done well. But before we ever started the church, I put him on salary for 70,000 a year as a staff pastor. And he said, what are my responsibilities? I said, your responsibilities are to do whatever you want. I said, all I'm doing is I wanna sow 70 grand into you personally and take care of you so you don't have to ever concern yourself with money the rest of your life. Do you know that guy calls me all the time and says, I want you to know I pray for you every day. Now, when an 80-year-old Pentecostal tells you they pray for you every day, they don't mean they put emoji praying hands on your Facebook page. I mean, I, I got an 85-year-old Pentecostal walking the floors of his house saying, bless Brother Jonathan, and, uh, it, and it helps. So you just keep giving. You keep sowing your seed, and the breakthrough comes back to you. Now. I tell those big testimonies and then I have people come up to me and sow a seed of like a thousand dollars and they say, I know this isn't much. I'm not telling those stories to make you feel bad if you didn't give a quarter million dollars. If it's much to you, it's much to God. That's how you measure the seed. If it's precious to you, it's precious to God. There was a time when I gave $72 in the offering and I turned around to go back to my seat 
and a lady handed me a check for $1,000. That was when I was in my early 20s. Nobody knew who I was. She said, here, I want to give to your ministry. And I said to her, now picture this. Imagine they're receiving an offering up here. And I go and put my money in and turn around. And a lady stops me right here and says, I want to give my offering to you. I said, I'm not with this guy's ministry. I said, I'm just attending the, the service. She went, no, I know I have an offering for him. But the Lord spoke to me to give an offering to you as well. I said, uh, I'd never had anybody tell me that before. So I said, okay. Uh, she said, who should I make the check out to? I, and I told her the name of my dad's ministry that I was working for, Lost Lamb. She said, no. The Lord told me specifically, don't give it to his ministry, give it to him. I said, are you sure? You won't get a tax receipt or anything. She said, I don't want a tax receipt. I want to obey God. I'd never been around Christians like that. It was all charitable giving at the end of the year so they can get a tax right off. There was no spiritual element in giving. So I said, okay, make make it out to Jonathan Shuttlesworth. Well, the thing is, I didn't give ministry money. I gave per, I gave the all of, that $72 cleaned me out. I wasn't gonna be able to eat till my next paycheck. I was just gonna go on a fast. Easiest fast you'll ever go on is when you're broke. If the devil tries to tempt you, you go, hey, we both know I don't have any money, so leave me alone. And she gave me a check for $1,000. And I cashed it. I, I cashed it the next day at the bank. I went from not being able to eat for a week to having the most money I'd ever had. I bring that up because actually I went to cash the check on the bank it was drawn on. I was in another state. They said, don't you want to open up an account? I said, no, I don't live here. They said, well, if you open up an account, we put $50 in your account. I said, okay, I'll open an account. I opened an account and then immediately withdrew $1,050 and closed the account. So that's the whole story if you want to hear that. So uh, I say that because that $72, when I sowed it, was precious seed. But if I gave God $72 now, he'd say, what's that? You're not in Bible school anymore. I've changed your financial level 25 times, and you're still giving me the same offering you gave when you were 21. If you keep increasing your seed as God increases your harvest, it starts a snowball effect. And what happens is people pull out of the relationship. It's like someone gives you $1,000. You put 100 in the offering. You can tithe 100. Somebody gives you 10,000. Okay, I'll give a thousand. Someone gives you a million. Pastor Steve, my wife and I would like to have a meeting with you because we have a rather large check that we were considering giving. Oh, God's up in heaven going, oh, now it's you. Now you have to go to lunch. Now you need the pastor to tell you his vision and convince you, okay, um, if some of that money could be used, my mother-in-law, Mabel, to build the Mabel Center. She always wanted to see. See, now, now, now you cut out, and then God says, okay, I can't, I'm not going to make this guy any bigger because he's already starting to turn into a jerk at this level. So if I can increase him 10 times more, he's going to end up in hell. Can you say amen? So if you keep showing your humility to God and your giving and just releasing the seed, then God will keep expanding your level and expanding your coast. Amen? Amen. So I'm going to give you the opportunity to give. Uh, it's up on the screen. If you're watching online and you want to give to our ministry, revivaltoday.com and click give now. I'm going to send a book that somebody told me to change their life, so I'll, I'll do that one this morning. Anyone that gives an offering of any size, I'm going to send you a book to say thank you called You're Not Broke, You Have a Seed by Dr. Leroy Thompson. And that'll help you in the area of finances. Thank you for everybody that's giving online. Thank you for everybody that 
is watching today with YouTube taking our feed down for medical misinformation. I don't know why they took me down for medical misinformation. I never one time told people the vaccine would stop transmission of COVID. And they took me down anyway. So thanks for following me to the Revival Today app. And thank you everybody who's giving and being a part of what we're doing. I hope when you watch our church services on Sunday, you realize you have a hand in that. We have about 10,000 people, individuals and businesses from all over the world that stand with us in giving. And that's why we're able to just kick devil tail at will. Because it's a big group effort. Amen? Hey, this is Jonathan Shuttlesworth. I want to thank you for listening to my podcast. Or if you're listening to my wife's, thank you on her behalf. If you want to be more than just a casual listener and stand with us as we take the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ to our generation, go to RevivalToday.com and click Give Now and be a part of the 1,000 monthly partners that we're believing for. I have a special gift that I'll send to you today, and I'll say thank you in advance. Until next time, thanks for listening. See you later.